1: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff.
0: My guest is Amy Jamison, who during her near-death experience encountered Jesus and angels in heaven, and today we're going to learn about it. Amy, thank you for joining me and welcome.
1: Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it.
0: Amy, if you don't mind, let's start on the day that your NDE happened and go from there.
1: Okay. Well, I was a dental assistant working in Houston, Texas, and I had a terrible cold for about two weeks. Uh, Unfortunately, I was wearing masks and turning my head away, but during patients, I was coughing a lot. And and after about an eight-hour shift, I drove home. I was driving home. I felt like a heaviness in my left arm. And I thought, well, maybe I'm having a heart attack or something. So I pulled over, called my husband on the telephone, because at that time I didn't have a cell phone. And I told him, be on the lookout for me. I got home. He wasn't really looking out for me, unfortunately. But uh, I went home. I cooked dinner, actually did six loads of laundry and cleaned the house. And he helped with that. We were in a two-story apartment. Um and then I was a smoker at that time. So I was smoking cigarettes. I sat down to smoke some cigarettes and my chest got really, really tight, like it was very difficult to breathe. So I put the cigarettes down and I turned to my husband and I said, please take me to the emergency room or call me an ambulance. I'm really having trouble breathing. He looks at me and says, well, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a hypochondriac. So he ignored me. And after about the third request, I said, "I really can't breathe. Well, please call me an ambulance." Well, he didn't move, and he just said, "There's nothing wrong with you." So I got up and called the local emergency room doctor, and he said, "Is someone there with you?" And I said, "Yes, there is. My husband's right here." He goes, "Put him on the phone." And he was on the phone, and his eyes got real big, and then he slammed the phone receiver down and and said, "Let's go." I said. Well, what did he say to you? He said, he said that he could tell from talking to me that I was struggling very badly to breathe and that if I did not get you there in time, if you die along the way or even at the hospital and pluses, I would be held totally responsible. I said, great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we get to the emergency room and they x ray me and check me out. And sure enough, I had a collapsed lung with walking pneumonia and pleurisy where my lungs filled up with fluid. I was going to have to have a chest tube inserted in the left side of my chest in order to get the fluid out so that I could breathe. So they prepped me for the procedure, they got started. And after they cut the incision, everything went black. For about three minutes, it was actually. I remember being just in vast darkness. My eyes are open and I'm looking around. I can see a really tiny white light at the end of my toes but near my heart area, I saw what looked like to me to be a very tall spirit dressed and wrapped like a mummy in all black with his arms stretched out. It was as if I myself, my soul, was a miniature version of me inside my own body going from my head, exiting down around this person who I thought I avoided and out to the end of my feet. When I went out my feet to the white light, the whole room illuminated, and I was actually at the ceiling in the intensive care operating room where I was being operated on, and the doctor was saying, time of death, and he repeated the time of death, and and the nurses, two nurses were standing there, and they said, it's such a shame. She was so young, and I heard everything they said. I saw everything they did, and then I turned around, and when I turned around, I could see two angels to the left of me. It was like we were standing in the clouds per se, but not that far off the floor. And the two angels to the left of me, it was a little girl with blonde, long blonde hair. She's probably about eight years old and she had on a white robe and sandals. And to her shoulder on her right shoulder, which was my left vision, there was a baby angel in a diaper. He had I don't know, reddish blonde hair with wings. And he was little and he was holding on to her robe as if he was tugging and playing with her and just laughing, laughing, laughing. And then I look to my right and I see three spirits of deceased relatives. They all passed anywhere from their mid 60s to their late 70s, but they looked very much to be in their 40s. And I recognize them. When I'm looking at them, it's like looking at a version of myself because I looked also at myself. And it was like the same me, but in a ghostly form without body mass, per se, to say it like that. So I was so happy to see my relatives. And there was a golden bright, uh, illuminating gold light behind them that I tried to go to. But I couldn't get to that light. All of a sudden, it was as if I was whisked right in front of me. And I was standing before Jesus himself. He had the long brown hair. He had on a white robe and brown sandals. And he looked at me and he was speaking to me, but his lips weren't moving. It was as if we were speaking mind to mind. And he said, You have to go back. It is not your time. So he raised his right arm. And when he lowered his right arm, I was back inside my body under a white sheet in the operating room. And there was a priest standing beside me on my right. And I blew on the, the sheet because I could feel someone there. And I knew that when I left my body, I saw a less rice. So I I told him, I just blew on the sheet, and he pulled the sheet down, and he goes, uh, excuse me, uh, you are a miracle. You were dead. He goes, you've had an experience. Please tell me about it. And I said, well, I'll be happy to tell you about it, but I'm really angry. He goes, why are you so angry, my child? I said, I'm so angry because I was very happy where I was, and now I'm back. I don't want to be back. He goes, it's not your time. I said, yes, Jesus told me that. And so I told him what happened to me and what I saw. But that was the extent of my near-death experience. Um, Actually, about a few months after that, I realized I had a dark entity attached to my soul. How that happened, I don't know. The only thing I could come up with for an explanation in my mind was that the mummy person I saw within my own body, me as a miniature person of myself going through the tunnel, that that entity, that soul attached to me. And it took me five years to learn how to get rid of it. Basically, it was not a good soul. And it was trying to physically do things to me, touching me, pulling me off the end of the bed and my spouse at that time, it was was attacking both of us. It literally tried to suck the air right out of me the last time it was over my body. Uh, kind of like the movie Ghost, if you've ever seen that, where the bad ghostly entities are black figures and they're stuck in the air and they're attacking you and taking you away. It was kind of like that. So my husband and I joined hands and screamed at the entity, you are not allowed here. We are children of God and you must go, go to the light of God. And we yelled it and prayed it away and it left.
0: Hmm.
1: At that point, it left.
0: (laughs) How did you see the entity in the first place?
1: How did I see it?
0: Yeah. How did you recognize that you had an entity there with you?
1: Well, because lights would flicker on and off in my apartment at all different times, I would get up and look, the switch would be in the on position, but the light would be off and the bulb would be perfectly fine. I'd even put a new bulb in and it would light, but then it would go dark immediately. There would be things that would happen. I had very bad empathic feelings that there was something wrong, that there was someone there with me, like someone with me, watching me, beside me, behind me. And it felt evil. It did not feel good in any way, shape or form to me. I really didn't know what it was until my spouse was telling me for a while that someone was pulling on his feet at night. And I'd wake up and say, I see no one. There's no one there. You're having a dream. And it happened repeatedly until one day in the middle of the day, he's out working in the yard and I say, okay, I'm going to take a nap. Well, I'm taking a nap. All of a sudden, I feel a hand on me at the bottom of my feet. It crosses both of my legs and my feet on top of each other and yanks me out of the bed in in a lying position all the way off the end of the bed to the floor. Of course, I get up and I'm like, OK, I don't know how that happened. And I felt it, but there was no one there. I could see no one. And this happened and several times. I mean, it even tried running its hand up my leg a few times. And before it tried to get over me in form above me, very close, and I could see a dark shadow form literally feeling like someone was sucking the air out of me like a vacuum. And that's when we prayed it away and yelled at it to go to Jesus. And it left.
0: That's amazing that your husband also experienced it as well.
1: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And the other thing after that was then shortly after that, I started having visions of future events before they occurred. Hmm. Those future events would all be involving direct family members, siblings, And or very, very close friends, where I would have a repeated, what I would call a nightmare, and it would repeat night after night after night. And I didn't know, how do I, what do I do with this? How do I get rid of this nightmare? How do I make it stop? Because they weren't good things. They were stabbings, kidnappings, just all kinds of fires, all kinds of things. And so I decided one day, okay, maybe if I tell the person that I see in this dream what I saw, it'll stop. And it did. I did that with the sibling and I told her what I saw and when it was going to happen. And sure enough, it would happen anywhere from the next day to two months later. I was never given a time frame on what I saw. I was just shown kind of like a movie trailer where you see the beginning and part of the middle and the end, but you, you don't, you can't fill in the rest of it. You're only shown portions of it, but then you, in the end, you show what happens. In my opinion, I thought, okay, once I tell her, it will happen, but everything will be okay. And that's exactly what happened. So from that point forward, I became known as the messenger per se, where I was given visions of things that were going to occur and they did occur. And in the end, even though they occurred, the part I wasn't shown was the good part that happened after I told them about it. I don't know if that was the whole point of the vision, that I was being shown was to stop the bad stuff from happening to them like death. However, I was shown five deaths that did happen, unfortunately. So chapter 13 of my book that I wrote about with this is uh, about one of the individuals whose death I was shown, who was very, very close to me. It was my daughter's uh, fiance of eight years. So he would be driving a car and and There would be a girl in the passenger seat. Well, he always drove my daughter's car and she would be the the person in the passenger seat. But in this particular vision, I was not shown the face of the person in the passenger seat, only him driving and what would happen to both of them. And I felt if I told him or her what was going to occur, that picture of that face on that girl in the passenger seat would be my daughter. So I told no one about that one except for my spouse. Because he woke me up, standing up, sound asleep, saying, what is wrong? You're sound asleep, standing in the middle of the floor screaming. And I told him, and I said, we have to keep this a secret. So we Mm. did. It happened exactly as I saw it. Luckily, it wasn't my daughter, but it was another girl.
0: Did you ever see visions of the future that were good things, like someone winning the lottery or something?
1: No, but interesting you asked me that. Because in the very last chapter, it's about me. I said, and in my opinion, the people who were giving me these visions were what I would call the ancestors of heaven. They guard over a huge building in heaven that holds all of our records. And this is the people who were telling me what was going to happen in in my life. So I said, why is it always bad stuff? Why am I never allowed to have a vision about something good that's going to happen? And I'd say, and matter of fact, Why not about me? So one night I went to sleep and I had just that kind of a vision. I was put through a test. I was married at the time and I was put through a test where I was shown a very tall, good looking, dark haired man. And that if I passed the test with him, they would tell me the answer to my father, who my birth father was. So I said, okay. so the man tried to be with me. He wanted to have an affair with me. And I said, no, I'm married and I respect my marriage and my husband. Next thing I knew, someone's telling me in my vision that you passed the test. Your, your birth father is a family member. Now, that I never really understood because since then, I found out, well, I had been molested by a uh, family member's uh, stepfather and his father. So, yes, but it really confused me. I'm thinking at the time that they told me that answer, they were leading me to believe it was my grandfather or my stepfather, I, I don't know what the what the point of that was, but in any way, this person I was shown in there, I was shown a neighbor who lived right next to me in the same vision and he waved to me and flirted with me a lot. And he had the name of uh, a license plate said, take hold on the back of his black car. I saw that car next to my parking spot one day and I'm like, oh, there's that same car with the take hold on the license plate. And then I saw the blonde haired guy walking down the sidewalk, getting in it. He was my neighbor next door. And then we became very good friends. And I'm thinking, okay, so this was the vision I had where they showed me that I was going to make a great connection with this person. And he was a good friend and it did happen. And that was the only good one I ever had. I don't know why we're not supposed to have really great ones and why we have to be messengers of all the bad stuff, but that's just the way I found that it
0: is. Maybe they're just either warnings or...
1: I guess. Yeah.
0: Or even a way to try to prevent bad stuff from happening.
1: Right. Right. And that was all I could come up with. I just, over time, I just learned to accept it, but it was very difficult because in all of that time, we're talking a 44 year time span from the time it started, because I had my near death experience at age 23. So the book I wrote was about 44 years of different visions that I had, which occurred and how I felt about them and and how it affected me. And actually that book took me on a advertising journey online that took me to a college that I graduated from a four year program in three and a half years mind, body, spirit, holistic based, where I improved everything about myself for the better. So I'm very happy about that.
0: If we go back to your NDE, do you have a feeling that you possibly knew who the angels were?
1: Yes, I did. Actually, the little girl and the little boy that I saw the baby, the little eight to 10 year old blonde haired girl and the little baby. Well, my, my, uh, their father We were divorced and we were sharing custody. They would fly back and forth twice a year from California to Texas where I was. And the first time they came, they're walking down the plank, getting off the plane. And when I saw her face, she had the same long blonde hair and he had the same smile and curly reddish blonde hair. I believe and I felt at that moment that those angels that I saw, those were my two children that I was looking at right now. And that was part of the reason why I was not done on earth yet. Hmm.
0: Do you have any other abilities from your NDE that we haven't talked about?
1: Yes, actually, I'm very empathic where, like if I were speaking to you for a good 20 to 30 minutes and doing what I would call a little mini interview with you for a hypnotherapy session, because I became a master life coach and a hypnotherapist, as well as a non-denominational ordained minister, I used all of those um, tools, I call them in a hypnotherapy session with you where I will discover within our first 20 to 30 minute conversation, key words that you use to describe your ideal life, what you think your life purpose is. And I will help bring out your life purpose for you personally. And not only will I do that, but within the first session, I will take you through you being in that particular field of work that you're wanting to do as your life purpose that you're supposed to do that makes you extremely happy. And that is my first session with the person with hypnotherapy. I've had great success with it. I love it. And I'm an angel card reader, positive angel card reading. So the angels, in my opinion, use me as their tool, like I'm channeling their feelings and thoughts are coming through me when I'm touching a deck of cards, which are all angel cards. You will hold a train of thought in your mind. Usually it's the one in your ego. Sometimes it's the one in your gut. You're intuitive. Sometimes it's both. And you can't decide, well, what questions should I ask? The, the key thing about this is you're not going to verbalize that question or concern with me at all. I'm not the one answering you. The angels in heaven are the people answering you. And you hold that thought. And, and then you say, OK, I'm ready. And then I'll touch the cards and draw three cards. When I touch certain cards in the deck, as I'm shuffling them, I feel this one, this one, and this one, and I'll pull them out. And I want to turn them over and I read them with you. And I'll any feelings I get, I interject my empathic feelings on that particular card with you to say, okay, this is what I see about the situation. Again, remember, I don't know the question. So I'm going based on my feelings that I get empathically like they're coming up from my gut and my intuitive and reading into what your card says. In other words, I'm helping explain that card, the meaning of that card for you, even though I don't know your question or your concern because you don't tell me. So, so that I physically, my ego will not play into your answer. I have no way of knowing what your question was. If you wish to share it at the end, I'll say, if you would like to share, go ahead. If you don't, you don't have to. The reading is for you from the angels. I'm just the tool they use. I'm not, I'm a messenger. I'm not the person giving you the advice.
0: Did you become more religious after your NDE since you encountered Jesus?
1: No, actually, I was raised a strict Catholic growing up all of my life. I went through catechism, the communions, the confirmation, every step that you could be to become a Catholic, a Christian. and. I fully believed at all times within about Jesus, Mary and God and the angels. I always believed what happened was when I went to heaven and when I came back, I became less religious and more spiritual. And my meaning of that, my definition of that is I connected more with Jesus, God and the angels than I ever would have in a religion per se. Because it was up close and personal. I was talking to them like I'm talking to you, like I knew them forever when I was in heaven. Even though it was only three minutes, to me, it felt like a lifetime.
0: From what we've already talked about, how else did your life change after your NDE?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, my life changed so much for the better before, uh, after my NDE because- I was more connected to the afterlife than I ever had been before. I did growing up always have like a deja vu of many different places that i had been and people i would met, but I couldn't ever connect it until years later. It took me on a journey where I had written things about everything that happened to me for 40 years. And one night in a vision, I was told, you have the material, write the book, get it out and in three months. In six months, it'll be you'll be advertising it. And I did exactly that. And it told me exactly how to start. And I wrote the book called Visions from Above, My Journey and My Destiny by Amy Jamison. And that's my pen name, Amy Jamison. But that's 44 years worth of visions and things that occurred, the messages I delivered and what happened with those messages. Uh, I still get visions. But what that also did was spiritually, I became a better person. And less judgmental. Uh, I became, I would say, more of a Christian than I ever was prior to that, in my understanding. It also took me to college. I never went to college, so I went to a holistic college, mind, body, spirit in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, and I graduated as a master life coach, a uh, hypnotherapist, a non denominational ordained minister. And of course, I'm a published author of the book. And by day, I'm a nanny. So I'm, my life is pretty full most of the time.
0: <laughs> what do you think inspires you about your NDE?
1: What inspires me about my near-death experience? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, people ask me this question in a different way. And they say to me, if there were one thing that you took from your near near-death experience, what would that be? I said, here's what that is. What that would be is what it is. It's this. Let's say you and I were related, maybe brother, sister, and we had a horrible fight one night. And the very next day, one of us passed away. The person left behind is horrified because they never got to say, I'm sorry, or I love you, or I didn't mean that. And they are the ones who suffered, the ones left behind. But what I can tell you from my own experience, when my soul left my body, there was no attachment to my body or to the feelings Persons, places, or things left behind. The only feelings I had were extreme happiness, bliss, no worries in the world, no negativity. So anything you had said to me the night before, gone, forgiven, done, I took nothing with me but love. And if I have anything to say to people about near death experiences, that is what I will say to you. There is no stress, there is no worry, there is no negativity. There is no disability, no horror, no drama. That's all on earth, not in heaven.
0: If you encountered somebody who's grieving over losing someone, would you you know, let them know that, hey, your loved one's okay on the other side?
1: Yes. Um, I actually did a hypnotherapy uh, session on a lady who was grieving terribly for the loss of her husband she was married to for so many years. And I took her through a hypnotherapy session. She had two two adult daughters still living. And she just wanted to see him and she just needed to see and feel her husband. So, in her hypnotherapy session, I took her on a journey through a beautiful garden and it connected to a beautiful waterfall. And behind the waterfall was a rock. She would walk over through the water, through the waterfall, and sit on the rock. And there was a pot of gold there. There was the most gorgeous rainbow over it. She reached down and picked up three coins from the pot of gold, the pot of gold. Each coin represented her daughter, and her spouse. Then there was someone standing, kind of floating behind her. It was her husband. And he was there to tell her that I am always with you. I will always be with you and watch over you three. And I love you very much. And when I brought her back from that hypnotherapy session, she was a changed person for the better. She felt so great. She's still going through the grief, of course, but in a better way. Because now she says, and I said, grab the coins and bring them back with you. So in her hand, she's feeling she has the coins so that whenever she gets stressed or depressed or grieves too much, she goes into a room. She looks at the coins and she remembers that particular journey and how her husband told her, I'm always with you and I love you. And she felt very blessed to have that session from me.
0: During your hypnotherapy sessions, have you ever encountered people's past lives or extraterrestrials?
1: No, never. Um, I will say this, though. The spouse I was married to at the time of my near-death experience, he didn't believe he was not religious in any way. And he did not believe there was a Jesus or a God in a religious sense. He believed their aliens were a superpower, and that was who Jesus was. At the time, I used to call him crazy for years. And then as I thought about it later in my life, I'm like, well, you know, Jesus does have superpowers. Jesus is amazing. He is super advanced. So who's to say? Who's to say that he is not, per se, an alien made to look what we were raised to believe we Jesus looked like in our own particular faith? Of all the people I've spoken to over the last 44 years of my life who have had similar experiences or near-death experiences, I believe that their God, let's say they're from India, they're Krishna, uh, they're all seeing the same God that I saw. I believe that he appears to us as we are taught to believe he would appear to us. Let's say you don't believe in Jesus. You're going to see an alien or you're going to see just the universe. That's how I believe it is for us. We're taken to our own special happy place, but it's all the same place.
0: If someone wants to get your book, do they find it on your website or Amazon?
1: Actually, my book is for sale on Amazon. It's also for sale on the publishers, which is balboapress.com. And you can also uh, go to my website and read a little bit about my book, as well as look into my life and pictures that I've made of my journey along the way and comments people put about my book. My website is www.chereaz.com. So it's chereaz.com. And that's the website that I have for my book. I also did a couple of videos on there um, about a sermon about um, the meaning of the Wizard of Oz was one of them that that I did. So people are welcome to go look on my website, see my pictures and about me, and read a little bit about the book. If you go on Amazon.com, the first chapter of the book is a free read.
0: Are you working on anything else right now that you want us to know about?
1: Actually, yes, I'm working on a sequel book. Um, I don't have the name down for it yet. I I actually have three books in me right now that i am started on three different books at one time here. One's the sequel to Visions that I've had and uh, a lot of things occurred at a house in Arizona, which I'm not going to tell you the name of the book, but let's just say uh, it's about Duke, D-U-K-E, and it's a bunch of weird things that happened at this one house, visions I saw and things that occurred. Uh, Yes. Very interesting. Very detailed. Another book I'm writing on is I didn't find my birth father until I was 69. He had already passed away. But as a result, I have seven siblings that I didn't know about. Mm. I've found two already recently. And I'm still working on finding the rest through Ancestry.com. So that's another book, Untangling the Tangled Roots. (laughs) And then the other book is about life as a woman in Saudi Arabia. So I was there six years. So that that's another book I have in the process as well.
0: Wow. What were you doing there?
1: Well, actually, I met um, the, the person I met that I married. He was the father of my children. I met him in Las Vegas, Nevada. He was at Denny's. He was a cook and I was the hostess. So, you know, that story, the dish ran away with a spoon. It was kind of like that. So he was in his last year of college in Las Vegas, and his family lived in Saudi Arabia. His father was chief engineer of oil operations for Aramco Oil Company. So after a year, we went to Houston, Texas, the home base plant for Aramco, and were there two years. And then we went to Saudi Arabia for six years. So that's how I came to be in Saudi Arabia. (laughs) I had my two youngest children there.
0: Your husband at the time that you had the NDE, did he believe you?
1: Okay, so he never believed in religion to start with. He's the one who believed in alien as the superpower, which now I can almost agree with him as far as that part goes. Uh, He never believed that I had something like that happen to me. And I don't know if he ever will right now at this point, because he uh, I believe what blocks people from connecting with their own intuitive is trauma, drama, negativity, alcohol, and drugs. So he's in the alcohol mode. So in my opinion, in the alcohol mode, you're not going to connect with your deepest feelings and your intuitive. It's just going to be blocked. But we all have the same ability to connect with our intuitive and to see and or feel things that we wouldn't normally see on this earth plane. That's my, my opinion, my thought.
0: Before your NDE, did you believe in the paranormal at all?
1: Actually, I did. Before my NDE, I was actually scared to death to die because growing up, I grew around an alcoholic abusive stepfather and everything was about protecting the secret of keeping what he was saying and doing a secret. And so I was high anxiety, petrified, always thinking I'm going to die because I would be one of his victims. So I always thought, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I was scared to die, I didn't know anything about it. I believed in paranormal and I used to call uh, ghost, to me, were what people were describing as spirits. To me, that's ghost, and ghost sounded scary. Ghost sounded like anything paranormal and and ghostly was gonna be bad, not good. But then when I had my near-death experience, I realized that people were describing ghosts were actually spirits that had already passed. Just like in life, you're going to have good ones and you're going to have bad ones. But in my experience, just like it is on Earth now, the light will always exceed the darkness, meaning that good will always overcome bad. So if you just believe that and know that to be true, it will be true for you. You still may experience the darkness from time to time and or bad spirits, but you will always come out on top if you have the creator as your full belief whether it's religious or spiritual.
0: After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that?
1: Of course. They can contact me through my email, which is L-E-E-C-H-E-R-I-E-66 at gmail.com. And once they reach and contact me through there, I can give them my personal phone number if they would like to speak to me. I'd be happy. I do card readings. I'd be happy to do a card reading for them and answer a question. I don't charge. I believe in the power of being the more I give, the more I get. I do free readings and donations are appreciated. And I usually get more donations than I would if I charged.
0: Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message?
1: A positive message. There is an afterlife. I believe that wherever you go to when you're stressed in your happy mind. You know, in your, in your happy place, your happy place is going to be your heaven when you pass, when, you're, when your soul leaves your body. Your soul will leave your body, but you will have no attachment to it. You will only take love and great thoughts and happiness and great memories of the people who you make memories with now. Live your life. Don't be afraid. Have a great life. Believe. Well, if you believe, you'll you'll never die because your soul never dies. Your physical body dies, but your soul never does.
0: Amy, thank you for that message and thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Hope everyone has a blessed day.
0: Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.